Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you're in the right place. There has been a lot of discussion this week about open enrollment and the proposed legislation that is uh, House Bill 1814. This is the legislation that proposes a new version of open enrollment for Missouri public school districts. The Public School Enrollment Options Act was filed by Representative Brad Pollitt of Sedalia and was heard last Tuesday in the House Elementary and Secondary Education Committee. There seems to be a lot of confusion surrounding this bill. The bill, frankly, is written in such a way that when you read it, you might think, well, that isn't so bad. And besides, my district's likely to be a winner in this whole thing anyway, uh, if open enrollment becomes the norm. But the more you study the bill and you take the time to process the implications of the bill, you start to realize that it is going to be a very negative thing for public school districts in Missouri. Whether they are gaining or losing students, they're, they're going to have some complications and problems from this. And it is certainly going to be something that is not good for public education as a whole in Missouri. So, as I said, there are kind of a, a number of different areas of confusion, and there are a whole host of issues with the bill that are problematic. And I'm sure that we can't cover them all in this short podcast, and there are certainly other materials out there that people can refer to if they're interested in finding out more about the legislation. Um, but I think what I would like to do today is rather than go into some of the more commonly mentioned issues, for example, the high likelihood that this bill will, will result in a number of school consolidations in both urban suburban districts and uh, rural areas as well. I'm going to spend my time talking about uh, some of the things that are those points of confusion, maybe misperceptions about the bill and what it might do for your district. So let's start with uh, something that is kind of an interesting facet of the bill that it kind of goes outside of the rest of the legislation when it talks about the enrollment options. And that is that the statute as it's written would waive tuition for any non-resident student whose parents pays a school tax in the district they want to attend. So if a particular individual parent slash student if they um, pay any school tax for three years, then at that point, they will be eligible to attend that particular district. And there is no minimum amount under the law for the school tax. So entrepreneurs out there get into the business of uh, acquiring uh, property that's going to be subject to a school tax figure out a way to divide it up into the smallest units you can, and you will be in business. That is, I think, a fundamental flaw in this uh, particular statute, and it's one that is something that is, uh, needs to be talked about as we look at this. That particular facet is going to result in a loss of significant funding for schools that are receiving districts. Meaning districts that are receiving students, and that kind of ties to the second area I wanted to, to mention, 
and that is one that is commonly overlooked. But the statute point blank says when it comes to open enrollment, a transferring student attending school in a non-resident district may complete all remaining school years in the non-resident district without reapplying each school year. So if you are one of those school districts that uh, has the uh, individuals from another district uh, who want to attend your school, you admit them when they're in the third grade, guess what? They're your kid for life. <laughs> uh, those kids will be able to attend your district um, until they are done attending K-12. And they do not have to re reapply every year. I think that's a common misperception because people have it in their head that they're going to be able to decide on a year-by-year -year basis, you know, what they're going to be able to resource, what their staffing needs might be, what their facility needs might be. And when, once they accept kids, um, those kids do not have to re uh, reapply every year. Another thing that is a kind of a misperception, I think, is that, you know, people are thinking that this is a voluntary possibility. And it is voluntary, to be clear, for the districts that are receiving uh, non-resident students. You can opt into this, in effect. However, for those districts where, who have students that want to attend a district that is not the district of their residence, there is no opting in. Um, it is not voluntary. So, uh, now, there are some provisions that would provide some level of protection for the first two years, and that would be the 23, 24, 24, 25 school years. Uh, in those years, a district that is uh, losing a student, they can put caps on the number of students at 5% of the previous year's enrollment. But after those two years, after the 24-25 school year, that cap is gone so that any number of students that want to transfer out may do so. Another interesting facet of this bill, when you really look at it, it and it's something that you, doesn't strike you immediately, but once you start processing it, you start looking for it, is that a, if you are a district from, that is the resident district for that student, you do not receive notice that the student is in fact transferring. Now, I want to explain what I mean by that. The way the statute is set up is that on October 1st or by October 1st each year, a district would let, uh, you know, basically make the decision that they're going to receive individual students. From there, students have until December 1 to apply for that district. And they can apply for as many districts as they'd like. They just have to have the application sent to that district and have it postmarked by December 1. Now, notice of that application goes not only to the district that they are applying to attend, but also to the resident district. And that's the last notice that is required by statute to be received by the resident district. From that December 1st timeline, uh, the district that is considering the application for attendance has until February 1st to review and make a determination as to whether or not they'll accept the student. If the student is accepted, they notify them by February 1st. 
and then they give them a reasonable time to enroll. There is no requirement that the parent or student notify the district that's losing that student that the student's not going to be back. They may know that they applied in one or more districts. They may get a request for records. Of course, the district that's reviewing the application probably already has the records that they want, so there's no time-sensitive problem there. But that parent or student can never really has to even tell them that they're not going to be back. That will make for interesting times in terms of staffing and planning for the following school year for a number of districts. One area that's really problematic is that the districts that are uh, accepting students under the o Enrollment Options Act, they really are not required to take students with disabilities. They simply have to look at it and determine whether or not they can provide appropriate special education services, which they simply can decide that they, they can't. And then at that point, um, after some discussion with those parents, they're done. They don't have to take those kids. So for students that really are, uh, you know, are kids that require a lot of resources, kids that maybe are behavioral kids that, you know, take a lot of time and energy for school districts, well, we just don't have to accept them. Similarly, kids that are uh, suspended, if they're suspended more than once uh, in the previous school year, they can reject that individual student, but otherwise they really can't look at the district, uh, the disciplinary record unless they have engaged in an act of school violence or something of the like. I want to talk a little bit about funding and how this works under the proposed legislation and what it might mean to both districts that are receiving students and districts that are uh, sending students. If you look at a, a uh, let's just start with the district that's going to be receiving individual students. So for those students that you uh, receive from a, another district, that, that you will not receive that district's local effort. So the locally raised taxes for uh, the, the education of that student will stay in the sending district and the receiving district will not uh, receive any of those local funds. They will receive the state and federal funding that follows that student and they'll get paid their ADA, average daily attendance on that kid. Now, what is that? Uh, what are the implications of that long-term for that particular school district? Well, if I'm a receiving district and my local taxpayers are paying for all students to attend our schools, including those, those students who reside in other districts who do not pay local taxes, I'm going to be very reluctant probably to uh, support any ballot measures for our district. Let's, I mean, let's think about how this is going to play itself out. We start to attract a number of kids to our school district. Well, we've got to staff that. We've got to have facilities for that. And where's the money come from? Well, at some point, we're probably going to have to go to the populace, the taxpayers, and ask them to approve the taxes. And what's going to happen? Well, they're not going to be very uh, enthusiastic about 
paying for those ta- uh, t- paying taxes or increasing taxes in any way if they they know that uh you know they have a bunch of students in their school that uh, they're paying for that don't reside in the school district that's an unfortunate aspect of it and it's going to be very difficult to pass ballot measures in that district going forward same would be true in the sending district i would assume in many respects because that individual district you know if their kids are leaving the district certainly you're going to have the the possibility or the likelihood even of people saying well my kids don't even attend here why would i want to 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 support a ballot measure for this school district when my kids go somewhere else and i can go send them over there and not uh, you know not have to worry about meeting their you know supporting their local tax efforts so I think that that is problematic and suggests that there is uh, going to be some problem with sustainability from a financial point of view with this particular proposal. Recognizing that, you have to start to look at why this is a problem long term. And it comes back to the idea that the funding mechanisms in the state of Missouri really don't match up with open enrollment. And that's a key point that probably needs to be made with respect to uh, some of the comparisons that are being thrown around uh, by uh, some individuals by about open enrollment. You know, I heard this morning I was in a meeting. You know, a state representative was citing, you know, that there were forty some school districts that have open enrollment, so it it must be something that is, uh, uh, you know, there's got to be a way to work this out. Well, what she overlooked was the fact, A, that Missouri is one of the 40-some school districts that's considered to have open enrollment already because we have a voluntary open enrollment act that's on the books and has been since the 1990s, but it requires both school districts to come to an agreement and opt into it. The second thing is, is that those other states they don't, they're not set up the way we are in terms of funding whatsoever. So you have to look at all of these other states and say, okay, well, what's their pr- proportion of local tax money that supports their schools versus their state tax money? And that's where Missouri has a problem with open enrollment. All right. The, uh, as I mentioned earlier, students can apply for more than one uh, non-resident school. And uh, there's really not a provision there that, that uh, it says that they can't enroll in more than one district at a time. It's kind of interesting. So if I am a, uh, you know, someone that's uh, uh, wanting to exercise my options, I just apply to three or four schools in the area. And uh, by December 1st, and then uh, find out who's accepting me. Say I get accepted at a couple. And then I wait till August to decide what I'm going to do, and from we take it from there. So I think that can be problematic in terms of logistics and planning for school districts, both those that are expecting to receive that student and those that are expecting to lose the student. If the student returns to the resident district after accepting a transfer, then they must attend one semester at the resident school, and then they're free to seek admission at a uh, non-resident school again. 
it's conceivable that that parents could have their kids backing for back and forth uh, quite a bit. And you know, in the uh, abstract, that may not sound necessarily like that's something that's going to happen a whole lot. But anybody that's been around how this works today with some parents who you know are usually disgruntled with the school, regardless of which school district it is, they're going to bounce around. They're going to get tired of individual schools and, and they'll be bouncing around and that kid's going to have the, the possibility of bouncing around in, a, in a, any number of different districts. That mobility is not good for that child. And um, that's certainly a distinct possibility. The other thing that I would say is that as we look at this bill, it is something that when you really study it, and there are a number of different facets that I didn't cover today, but as you really study it, you start to learn that it is very problematic, regardless of whether you anticipate receiving students or netting more students than you lose or not. This legislation is very problematic, and that's why most, but not all, state education entities have determined that they're not supporting this legislation. All of the teacher associations oppose this bill. The Missouri Parents and Teachers Association oppose this bill. Missouri Association of School Administrators oppose this bill. Missouri Association for Rural Education, the cooperative school districts, I can go down the list. Even DESE, who has determined that they had whose state board has determined that they have a legislative priority to explore open enrollment is neutral on this bill. Only one state association has come out and provided testimony in support of the bill, and that is the Missouri School Boards Association. Everyone else has recognized the problems and complications that this particular bill is going to cause for our Missouri schools. I just want to take a minute to thank you listeners for taking the time to listen today. We hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council Insights podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or you can check us out at our website. Just Google Ed Council, that's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, all one word, and you will find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.